And welcome once again to another edition of A Plain Answer here at Redeemer Broadcasting. I'm Dan Elmendorf. Joining me on the phone line today is Dr. Paul Kangor. He is professor at Grove City College. He's also the head of the Center for Vision and Values. Uh, Dr. Kangor, it's an honor to have you on with us today. Yeah, Dan, it's good to be back. Thanks. You know, uh, we talked a little bit before opening the mics about a concern that I think we all share. And I should mention our our son-in-law, Andrew, is in the studio with us today, listening in. Right. Um, And that is, uh, we fear losing our country. Uh, This is a country that is a constitutional republic and uh, is based on, really built on Christian values, a Judeo-Christian heritage. But we see some forces at work, very powerful forces, I might add, that are moving or attempting to move the country in a direction towards um, socialism, even communism. And I'm wondering if you can get us started today to talk about what you see happening. Yeah, well, it is, it's not a good situation, Dan. I, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I really can't be very positive. The, the data out there on socialism, literally, there was a, a survey done a few years ago by Pew, which, which is really good. That's great work, Pew Research Center. This was about three years ago, and, and this sort of awakened people. This turned out to be a very prophetic uh, poll survey. They found that of 18 to 29-year-olds, basically millennials, 49% had a positive view of socialism compared to 43% that had a positive view of capitalism. And it turns out that those numbers are actually uh, pretty tame compared to some other surveys. This is off the top of my head, but but Gallup recently did a study where over 50% of millennials had a positive view of socialism. There was a, an even better study that was done by the Reason Foundation and Roop, and they asked, again, same sort of thing, and it was 50-some percent of millennials had a positive view of socialism. But, but here, here's maybe the one kind of silver lining in this, Dan, if there is one. When, when they asked these kids, well, what is it, um, how do you define socialism, right? They usually gave answers like, well, it's benevolent, it's about helping people, it's about helping your fellow man, it's about the government helping the poor. So, um, in a sense, that's really bad because they've got it wrong. <laughs> but, but at least, I guess, if I'm looking for a positive, at least we can see that it's a misunderstanding, right? Yeah. And, 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 and so you hope that when people just have something wrong, uh, when, when they don't have a truthful image of something, that there's at least hope in that, in that you can correct it. Now, now, that said, it's an uphill climb when even good Christian folks send their kids to the secular universities that push socialism and push this kind of modern secular trinity of race, gender, and sexual orientation that, that aren't teaching free markets that um, aren't teaching the importance of an anti-communist position, that aren't teaching uh, the Judeo-Christian roots of the country of Western civilization. You mentioned Constitutional Republic. One of my favorite quotes from John Adams is he said that um, our Constitution is wholly inadequate for any other type of people but a religious people. And and, and I think that's right. If you lose that Judeo-Christian framework, 
then you're in big trouble. And, and all the socialists and all the communists, the one thing that they've tended or really always had in common is they all reject that Judeo-Christian um, basis or, or bedrock. They want to fundamentally transform. So that means in the case of America, turning into something that it never really was intended to be and something, uh, and something that it really isn't and shouldn't be. Now, uh, you caught my attention about these uh, millennials um, uh, having a favorable uh, image of socialism, a large percentage of them. And um, it, there is a silver lining, as you put it, and that is um, it is good to have a benevolent heart to want to help our fellow man. Um, Jesus would have us help the poor and remember them. I guess the question is, uh, whose role is it to do that? Right. The, you know, right. personal slash church versus statism. And can you can you talk a little bit about that? And also another question I have <laughs> is, uh, I think we just need a basic definition of what is socialism and why uh, as I sit in this seat, why am I so against it? Um. <laughs> right. Well, it's a good point. I, I guess with the first of those, look, I would point people, and, I, and I've done this over the years, to uh, religious left audiences, social justice Christians that, I, that I've spoken to. You know, take the parable of the Good Samaritan. Uh, you know, what, what's happening there, and it's Jesus who's telling the story, you know, the Good Samaritan doesn't, doesn't look at this wounded traveler on the road to Jericho and, and yell to the people around them, hey, hey, come do something about this, right? Uh, you know, where's the government? Where, you know, where's the governing authority? You know, come on, i got to get going. Come do something about this. No, he picks him up. He, he puts him on his horse, his donkey, his mule. He, he, he takes care of him. He takes him to an inn. He actually takes him to, this is all private sector, right? <laughs> he, he takes him to the inn. He tells the innkeeper, um, here, here's some money for this guy, take care of him. I will be back to check on him, right? Uh, so yeah, he's, really, he's really doing his part here. You know, this is individual private charity. This is private work. You know, th- that's not, Jesus isn't arguing there for a nanny-to-grave, you know, womb-to-tomb, um, womb-to-tomb uh, nanny state where Leviathan, where, where big government has to take care of the poor. And, and besides, if, if you just push it off on the government, well, that's really not impressive at all. What's impressive is the personal initiative. Yes. When, when, when you sacrifice, when, when, when you give something. Now, now that said, I, I'm not saying the government has no role in, in this. Uh, I, you know, I, I think that a caring, uh, just society especially one in the modern West, like America, that has a ton of money, I mean, literally more money than any country has had in history, uh, GNP-wise, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we, we, could, we could afford to, to do many of the things that we do. Uh, but, but what you don't want is you don't want a single, one-size-fits-all, do-everything-from-Washington, um, collective redistributionist approach. Um, I believe in the principle, Dan, of subsidiarity, which I know a lot of people haven't heard that term. But, but you know, that, that argues that the best way to help somebody, help the poor or whoever, is done by who's ever closest to the problem. Now, that could mean not just the individual, not just the Good Samaritan helping the guy out, but it could mean the local county, it could mean the local borough, it could mean 
the local um, the local church charity Salvation Army uh, the Methodist Church downtown right the Little Sisters of the Poor uh, you know a- a- any of those groups could do that but but I think what we're falling into today and and our 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 colleges have taught this too is we're we're raising a group of young people of millennials to think look to Washington right. You got a problem? Look to Washington. Yeah. Uh, you, th- there's no limit to the amount of money that you can send to Washington that they can redistribute. It's all good. It's all good, and that's not true at all. I mean, that uh, we we really learned that a single giant centralized government is not the best way to help people. Uh, you know, you you need more of a decentralized approach, and at the very least. You know, more of a balance be- between between local and national help. Oh yes, um, I keep coming back to um, the concept expressed in the Ten Commandments of of not stealing, uh, of the concept of having private property, and and not um, and also not coveting. <laughs> you know, right. not looking at what my neighbor has and saying, "Oh, I got to find a way of getting that from them." And suppose he's a really rich neighbor. You know, I, I've been on properties uh, where they are beautiful estates, multi-million-dollar estates, and it's it's a really it's a wonderful freedom that we can have in the Lord, where we say, "Well, thank God that my neighbor has this," and I I really wouldn't want it. You know, I just right. I'm, I'm glad he has it. God God bless him. And, that's right, and I, I that's such a healthy feeling to have that. But more than that, it's it's um, God's law requires it. Yes. Well, you know, one of the seven deadly sins is envy, and you know, envy can kill you. It can make you yes. miserable. And and the the single biggest problem with the Marxist, communist, socialist approach, and and sad to say, even much of. You know, the modern Democratic Party, Richard Gephardt, talked about two Americas. And you hear a lot of this kind of rhetoric, and you will again at, at the Democratic Convention, not to be partisan about it, but, but you know, they, they, they always want to divide people into classes. And when you divide people in classes, they do it in a way where they sort of pit classes against each other. And that, that's just totally destructive. And, and, I, and I know why the Democrats do it. They do it in order to get votes from... You know, a certain constituency, but 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 it's toxic. I mean, if if you're if you're raised to believe, um, and the Marxists taught this, and again, a lot of people and you know the current Democratic Party do this as well. If 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 you're raised to believe that you're poor, if you're poor and you're poor because some somebody has more than you do, right, or who got it at your expense, or as Dick Gephardt used to say. Um, because someone else is a winner in life's lottery, and you're not. Uh, that that is really self-defeating. Mm-hmm. It it um, it fosters envy, and and it's also a violation of one of one of the three theological virtues: faith, hope, and charity. Mm. You know, we're supposed to be charitable toward our neighbor, not just charity in terms of like the Good Samaritan or giving money to charity, but understanding to people, right? You you, um, you you try to be kind to people. You don't demonize that rich person who has more. To your ch- you, know, right. you, know, you try to give him the benefit of the doubt that he didn't steal that money, right? That he didn't get it off the backs of the poor. Uh, you know, most people who have money 
except for people, I guess, who inherited it. Um, but in America in particular, most people who've gotten rich have gotten rich from coming up with something new and working really hard. And yes. that shouldn't be decried and attacked and envied. No, not at all. Uh, today we're talking with Dr. Paul Kangor. He he teaches at Grove City College, and he's uh, really the head of the Center of Vision and Values. Um, what about a definition or a description, maybe, of, of socialism slash communism? What are what are the um, what are the things that that bother me sitting in this chair as you would describe them? <laughs> well, it's, as soon as you said that, since I'm in front of my computer, I googled the word socialism, mm-hmm. and I went scroll down a little bit for the Wikipedia definition because this is the first thing that always comes up. I think. <laughs> Wikipedia is the only true omniscient power in the universe anymore, right? I mean, everybody goes to Wikipedia. And and the first line here says, socialism is a range of economic and social systems. Now, I like that, because they're right. It's not just an economic system. It's really a social system characterized by social ownership and democratic control of the means of production. Now, I don't know they like the word democratic control in there. Um, in fact, I don't like that at all. That, that w- I think that a, a Bernie Sanders supporter has leapt into Wikipedia <laughs> and, 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 and added that. Uh, that's, but, but that is what most people today would call democratic socialism. Mm-hmm. Although, I've got to warn you, one of the first social democrats was Vladimir Lenin. And if people think that's kind of hyperbole red-baiting, well, get out your com- uh, computer Type in Lenin, Social Democratic Party, right? Real easy, right? Everybody got it? Lenin, Social Democratic Party. And you will find that Lenin's party was originally called the Social Democratic Party of Russia. And they met in 1903. This was a two-week-long series of meetings in Brussels and London, both. Two cities. They carried it from, from city to city. And at that meeting of the Social Democratic Party... They split into the majority, the Bolsheviks, and the minority, the Mensheviks. And so from there, Lenin went from being in the Social Democratic Party to being in the Bolsheviks and starting the Communist Party of the Soviet Union. Ah. So long before there was a, you know, a, a benign, grandfatherly, huggable uh, social democrat, a democratic socialist named Bernie Sanders, you know, there was this goatee, bearded guy who looked like the devil in the Soviet Union <laughs> named Lenin, who was, <laughs> who was, it was a social democrat. <laughs> um, but, but, so t- today, I, I guess, I, I, the the answer to this is, if you ask a hundred different socialists for a different for their own definition of socialism, you'll probably get a hundred different definitions. Yes, and that, and that's part of the problem. And I got to warn you too that. A lot of communists have, have historically called themselves socialists, and often the communists and socialists use the words interchangeably. And as a, as a perfect case in point, everybody listening, what did USSR stand for? Mm-hmm. Right? That, that, that S, one of those S's in USSR stood for socialist. You're right. Not, yeah, not communist, socialist. Mm-hmm. So, so they, you know, they they use that term, but but basically, um, a social a socialist as we would commonly understand it in America today, is somebody who's not quite so far to the left as a communist, mm-hmm. right? A communist would take all of your property, 
would um, have complete government public ownership of all of the means of production, of all of the factories and farms. A socialist would control some of the means of production, right? Um, a socialist wouldn't hit you with a 99% tax rate, but if you're wealthy, they'll take 70%. Mm-hmm. And if you're middle class, they'll take 50%. They, they, would, um, you know, they, they wouldn't nationalize everything in the country, but they would nationalize health care. Mm-hmm. And you know, the, the British socialists under Clement Attlee in the 1940s, they nationalized coal and gas and the airline industry, and the auto industry, and a whole bunch of stuff. Mm-hmm. So, so that, you know, that's the difference. And Bernie Sanders pledged that um, he wouldn't go around nationalizing a whole bunch of stuff. Mm-hmm. And so I guess that's good. So he would be more <laughs> of a democratic socialist. Bernie Sanders is clearly not a communist, mm-hmm. um, but he, he's a self-described and you know, very much is a, a socialist, more of that American type that I just described. Yes. Well, it's fascinating to hear you speak, and I I think about kids, too. I'm just concerned that um, they're getting trained in a particular direction, unless they're home-educated or perhaps a private school, Mm -hmm. hopefully going to a place like Grove City College or similar and getting trained so that they can actually think but I get concerned about kids if, if they're just simply thrown into the public school system and without even realizing it, becoming little socialists. Yeah, and, and parents dupe themselves. I hear this all the time. Oh, our school district is a good school district. Sure. I hear that all the time. Look, uh, probably half the teachers in public schools are, um, are, are not of this kind of left-wing persuasion. The sure. public schools are much more mixed. Now, the universities are horrendous. The universities, they are literally less than 10% self-describe themselves as conservative. Mm. And that's compared to a public at large that's described itself as conservative by about 35 to 40% for about 25 years mm-hmm. now. Public at large, about 20 to 25% describes itself as liberal. The, the universities, literally about 90% describe themselves as liberal. And I'm, I mean this literally. I, these, are, these are studies that have been done over mm-hmm. and over and over again. I mean, 9 out of 10 university professors self-describe as liberal. And, and that group includes literal socialists, communists, radical progressives, um, you know, fanatical pro-choicers, nature redefiners, LGBTQ types, I mean, really, really radical left stuff. And so, Mom and Dad, if you're listening, if you send Susie or Johnny, and I don't care how strong you think they are in the faith, you send them to one of those colleges, I'm telling you, chances are, I'd say two out of three of them are going to come back as early as Christmas break freshman year, Mm -hmm. telling you that they're voting for Bernie Sanders that they think Planned Parenthood should get government funding, and they think uh, two men ought to be able to marry each other and adopt children. I'm sure, telling you. Sure. I- I'm warning you. I- I'm warning you, and don't think that you're going to be the exception. You do that, you're going to pay that college $30,000 a year to undermine everything that you've been teaching your kid for 18. I guarantee it. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's awful. <laughs> it is awful. Uh, 
What's a parent to do? <laughs> well, what, what, what a parent should do is carefully research the type of school where you want to, where you want to send your child. And, yeah. and if you think it's a Christian college because it was when you went there or 30 or 40 years ago or because it has Christian in the name somehow, um, again, don't be so easily misled. You've got to right. think carefully about this. You've got to ask the hard questions. Do a little bit of research on it. Um, Young America's Foundation, Young America's Foundation, YAF.org, YAF.org. They have a list of recommended colleges. It's a good list. Uh, uh, you know, so the, you know, there, there are places out there. My college, Grove City College, uh, Hillsdale, uh, yeah, they're out there. But there's not a lot of them. I mean, you got you got maybe a couple dozen choices. You don't have a hundred choices there. But uh, be very careful about this. Be smarter. They're they're going to go there and they're going to come out. Bernie Sanders got over 12 million votes in, in this election cycle. Wow. Over 12 million votes, and he didn't get them from people in their 50s and 60s. He got them mostly from millennials in college. Yes, uh, that is um, so very true. Now, uh, we've got maybe uh, four minutes left, and I want to give you time to, uh, you know what, let's do it right now. Before I forget, you've written some really interesting books. Um, regarding this subject, is there any particular book you'd like our listeners to possibly get on Amazon? Oh, well, thanks. Yeah, I wrote a book called Takedown, and uh, Takedown is about the, uh, the socialist, communist left sabotaging of marriage. They've been trying to do this since the 1800s, when when Marx and Engels wrote about the abolition of marriage, and and they it's worked its way right into the same sex marriage movement today. So uh, yeah, takedown. That's one of them. And I also wrote a book called The Communist, <laughs> and that's about Barack Obama's uh, mentor Frank Marshall Davis, who was a literal card carrying member of Communist Party USA. And I also wrote a book called Dupes. And, and dupes is about how the communist left has tried to hoodwink, dupe, fool the liberal softer left for about 100 years. And they've had great success doing it by um, hiding their intentions and, uh, not, and, and by doing things like calling themselves progressives, when in fact mm-hmm. they're, they're really hardcore communists. Uh, there's so much more we could talk about. I, I'm, I'm sorry we're almost out of time. I... Um... I'm sorry I talked so much. Hopefully I didn't talk too much. It helps me because um, I'm not very original in my thoughts, so I, I love interviewing you. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. Uh, no, you, no you, you're, a, you're a great host, actually. The, these are great books, and I, I should get them myself. Um, well, and I should send them to remind me. I will send you copies of these books. <laughs> I would Honestly. love it. Um, regarding the election, and we're not going to endorse people over the air or anything like that but any guidelines this seems like a really tough year any guidelines for christian folks who hold to the ten commandments then hold to the gospel of christ uh anything they need to keep in mind well i look i don't like either one of them i i'm appalled by uh by donald trump i i'm more appalled by hillary clinton let me make this real simple based on what we talked about today of the two, Trump is certainly no socialist, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, although he does talk in a way like a kind of a state capitalist, mm-hmm. uh, which, which troubles me. Yeah. Uh, but Hillary is certainly much farther to the left. And, uh, you know, Hillary interned 
for a law firm in San Francisco in the late 60s, uh, which literally was run by a couple communists who were Communist Party USA members. I, mm-hmm. I, I wrote a book on the faith of Hillary Clinton, so I spent a lot of time on it. <laughs> she, she, was, um, she, she was a big admirer of Saul Alinsky. I've heard of that name. Who was, uh, who was not a communist, but was a socialist and dedicated his book, Rules for Radicals, to Lucifer. He acknowledged oh. Lucifer in the, in the front page of, of Rules for Radicals. Did you know this, Dan? I'd probably think I'm making it up. But uh, he, he, he actually did that. And so she she's definitely comes from a far more radical background than, uh, than Donald Trump does. Mm. Well, that's fascinating. So those are a couple of key names to watch out for, the Saul Alinsky character, and also you mentioned... Frank Marshall Davis. Yes. Someone being trained by this guy is going to turn out to be um, uh, pretty dangerous. Yeah. No. That's that's right. He was um, Davis was a was a really really shady individual, and he was a literal mentor to Barack Obama. He was a card carrying member of Communist Party USA. That's amazing. Let's end on a really positive note. Now um, mm. you're speaking oh, to a, to a family. Let's say with some young children. Uh, last minute, uh, take it away. Yeah, a, a, a positive note to young children today? Yeah. Well, I would say um, read as much as you can. Read both sides. If you read only one side, that's where you get in trouble to begin with, because mm-hmm. that's how the universities indoctrinate people. If you read both sides, I, I think you'll come to the truth. Because, um, you know, the biblical side, the, 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 the Western tradition, um, that's been around for a couple thousand years because it teaches the true, timeless, eternal principles that transcend all of these modern whims and fancies that, uh, that we live through today. Mm. Good advice. Today we've been talking with Dr. Paul Kangor. He is the head of the Center for Vision and Values, professor at Grove City College, Dr. Kangor, uh, thank you so much for joining us, and we do pray that the Lord blesses your life and the life of your family. Well, thank you very much, Dan, and uh, yeah, I encourage everybody's uh, prayers for me, because I need them, and I promise I'll pray for all of you as well. Mm, Very good. Dear listener, please join us next week at the same time for another edition of A Plain Answer.